Woke up quick at about noon. Welcome into the Thursday, June 4th edition of the podcast with Damian Barling, presented by Vibe Health Bar, where they got three locations in East Sacramento, Oak Park, and Folsom. I don't think I showed Vibe enough love yesterday. Uh, they have been with, been with us essentially since day number one. So all love to Vibe Health Bar. We appreciate all of the support they have shown us uh, through the first year of this program. Uh, and I appreciate all of the love that you have shown them through the first year of this program. Uh, welcome all the new listeners. We got quite a few, man, and I'm so appreciative for people who are checking out this podcast uh, for the very first time. Uh, maybe you were made aware of it through social media. Maybe you were made aware of it through all of the stuff that went on with Grant Napier over the last couple of days, uh, but I'm so happy you found us. I really hope you dig what you're listening to. I hope you stick around for a while. We're a daily podcast. We realize the uh, choices here for local radio, local sports talk radio in Sacramento have uh, dwindled essentially down to nothing. Uh, but I assure you, we are here each and every single day, and we've got you back both for stories locally and stories nationwide. So again, if you're new, welcome. Absolutely love having you. Hope you stick around for a while. And if you dig what you're listening to, subscribe. Join us every single day, man. We drop a podcast Monday through Friday. Uh, and if you really dig what you're listening to, man, if you could leave us a five-star review, particularly there over on Apple Podcasts, you could leave us a five-star review I think on no matter what podcast platform you're listening to us on, whether it's radio.com, Google Play, Spotify, whatever it may be, uh, but particularly there on Apple Podcasts, that goes a really, really long way for us. So if you could hit those five stars and if you got an extra 60 to 90 seconds and you want to leave us a rating there, uh, that would be fantastic. We do have some follow ups from some stories yesterday. Some of them, <laughs> some of them are pretty predictable. Uh, Fick Fangio, we'll talk about him and, and, and I don't mean, I'm, I'm not trying to laugh at him. I'm only laughing at the situation because if you listen to yesterday's show, we were talking about Vic Fangio. We said, ah, he's, he's, he's probably going to put out a statement later today. And sure enough, uh, he did not disappoint. So we'll touch on that. I, I have some, some follow-up things on, on Grant Napier before we can hopefully uh, put that story to bed. I saw something yesterday that I just, I, I was surprised by. I didn't think that I would see, uh, but we were going to start. With a guy who many of you know is one of my absolute favorite quarterbacks in the league, and this this just uh, this 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 hurt me yesterday. This legit hurt me, and I'm going to explain to you why. Uh, and you know where I'm going with this. Uh, Drew Brees, uh, he's got quite a bit of backlash, not just from his teammates on the New Orleans Saints, not just from players in the NFL. He got backlash from uh, LeBron James. I mean, they had. I mean, there were people all over the world of sports and sports media. Uh, there were fans all over the world who were listening to his comments yesterday as it pertains to the national anthem, particularly as the national anthem pertains to Colin Kaepernick's original uh, protest. And, man, he just completely missed the mark here. He just absolutely missed the mark. He said, uh, as it pertains to Colin Kaepernick's uh, stance or protest during the national anthem, he said, uh, I never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. And he goes on to... You know, he goes on this thing about his family and soldiers and all of this different stuff. And there's two things I want to say here uh, before we get to what to Malcolm, before we get to what Malcolm Jenkins said, and before we get to Drew Brees' apology this morning. One, if this is this this kind of falls under the line of, well, I didn't know that all lives matter uh, undermined Black Lives Matter. The, the statement of never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States. It's the, it's the, the, those, those two statements are, are in the same line as each other because it's just, it's willful ignorance. You're willingly being ignorant to something. How does Drew Brees not understand? 
after all of these years, like we're, man, we're four years into Colin Kaepernick originally sitting, for those who have forgotten, he originally sat. And I think everybody, I think everybody is aware of the story of former Green Beret saying, hey, man, don't don't sit. It's combative. And, and that comes across as disrespectful. If you want to be respectful, try taking a knee. It's something soldiers do. Uh, you know, when when a, when a, when a, when one of their teammates is down, or when their fellow soldiers is down, and think about it, it's something that 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 teammates do when one of their teammates is down. They like they take a knee and they observe there, and he did it. He did it the very next week, and Nate Boyer he did a, a great interview um, on ninety five seven the game yesterday. But like, how can you still think that this is about the American flag? Colin Kaepernick spoke for eighteen minutes. Following that game, that very first game, was it? A, I think it was a second or third preseason game, uh, way back in 2016. He spoke for 18 minutes. The video is easily accessible online, and I think so many people have chosen to ignore because every issue that has ever been thrown at Cap or every excuse as to why what he is doing is wrong, or every I don't know, I don't understand why Cap's doing this. It's disrespectful. It's this. It's that. All of it was addressed the very first time he stood in front of the media. And if you remember, we all remember, I think, how bad Cap was with the media during this time. Remember, like, he he gave a bunch of, remember, like, the year before, he gave a bunch of short answers. He was really combative. He was standoffish. He was just an absolute tool. And I remember thinking, like, when this, when this story really started to pick up, like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Because because I thought they're going to ask him about this, and I I don't know that he's going to be able to articulate, you know, why he's doing this or or what the meaning behind all of this is. And man, he did it. He stood in front of those cameras and he stood in front of those recorders for eighteen minutes. And I've always felt like people have chosen to ignore that. So what I'm going to do when our show is done today, we're going to do our entire show just as normal. I'm going to play the eighteen minute clip for you. I want you to hear, you could, obviously, when the show's over, you could turn it off. You don't have to listen to it, but I want it to be accessible for you. I want you to be able to hear it. I don't want you to have to go to YouTube, search it, not be able to find it. I want to have that clip right here for you. So Colin Kaepernick, in his own words from four years ago, can address and debunk all of these all of these re, you know, ridiculous narratives that people have put on his original protest so long ago. Malcolm Jenkins in a, a video, like he posted multiple videos yesterday. One of them uh, he deleted, I think one of them, you know, he deleted the one where, you know, he told Drew Brees to shut the F up. But he said he was hurt uh, by Drew Brees. He said um, his comments were extremely self-centered. Uh, he also said, quote, our communities are under siege and we need help. And what you're telling us is don't ask for help that way. Ask for it in a different way. I can't listen to it when you ask that way. Uh, we're done asking, Drew. And people who share your sentiments, who express those and push them throughout the world, the airwaves are the problem, end quote there. Uh, again, Drew Brees took a, I mean, he took some heat yesterday. He took a lot of heat yesterday, and the the, the uh, inevitable apology came today. And I'm, 
you know, I've I've read this. I want to be fair to Drew Brees again. I'm a I really like Drew Brees. Like I just I don't know how you can't. He's a phenomenal quarterback to watch. You know, watching him break those records and it, it felt like year after year after year. It, it, there was a stretch where it felt like game after game after game he was breaking some sort of record. But I really think he missed the mark with this one. It's a lengthy apology. You know, it's it's broken down into two parts where he, you know, he starts by apologizing to New Orleans, the black community, the NFL community, people I've hurt. Uh, he said in an attempt to talk about respect, unity, uh, made some comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark, lacked awareness. And maybe that's as good as an answer as I'm going to get. And I'll explain in a minute. He said, I they lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy. Uh, instead, those words have become divisive. And he goes on, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not going to paraphrase this part. I want to read this directly for you. Uh, this is Drew Brees's, the second part of Drew Brees' apology today. He says, this is where I stand. I stand with the black community in the fight against systematic racial injustice and police brutality and support the creation of real policy change that will make a difference. I condemn the years of oppression that have taken place throughout our black communities and still exist today. I acknowledge that we as Americans, including myself, have not done enough to fight for that equality or to truly understand the struggles and plight of the black community. I recognize that I'm a part of the solution and can be a leader for the black community in this movement. I will never know what it's like to be a black man or raise black children in America, but I will work every day to put myself in those shoes and fight for that right. I've always been an ally, never an enemy, I'm sick about the way my comments were perceived yesterday, but I take full responsibility and accountability, and I recognize that I should do less talking and more listening. And when the black community is talking about their pain, we all need to listen. For that, I'm very sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. End quote. <clears throat> okay. Um, let's, talk, let's, let's, let's pick apart a couple of things here. One, you know, as I read that through, that's that's the third time that that I read it through because it, it just it just came over right as we we started recording this. Again, if you're new to the po- uh, new to the podcast, we record every morning, usually around five. Uh, we try to be as five a.m. We try to be as caught up on the news cycle as we could. So this this just came in right before we started recording here today, and he doesn't. I wish he had acknowledged, and and maybe this is where the lack of awareness. And type of you know and facing you know, uh, and, and compassion and empathy statement that that he made in the first part. Maybe that's where this comes in, but I wish that he acknowledged, "Hey, man, I was I was wrong about the purpose of of Colin Kaepernick's protest. Like, I really dropped the ball on that. Um, I have chose to be ignorant." Which this isn't exclusive to Drew Brees, and and I think there's a a lot of people it, it, again the line will for ignorance people choose to be ignorant they choose not to understand why someone is doing something because they become blinded with what they think uh is 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 the right answer right they 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 become blinded by their own opinion and that's one of the dangers of social media is we we surround ourselves with people who think like us we surround ourselves with with like-minded people you know, we, we, we put ourselves in a bubble and we want people to agree with us and we want people to see things the way that we do. And, you know, if you, you know, we've always said on this podcast, like I, I don't talk with hopes that you will agree with me, whether it's a sports take, whether it's a thought on the Sacramento, the Kings, whether it's the future of Buddy Healed, my feelings about Vladi Divac, or it's, it's on an issue like what we're talking about here. 
I'm not talking with the hopes that you'll agree with me, not in any topic that we talk about. I talk with the hopes that you'll listen to me. That's the point of the podcast. That's the point of being a person in sports media. That's the, person, that, that, that's the point of being uh, in any type of media that's not like an actual news journalist where you've just got to convey the facts. We just want you to listen. And if we can help you form opinion, and even if we don't, and you go, well, wait a minute, you've missed this because someone's going to be listening to this right now and go, yeah, but what about dot, dot, dot. And that's all I have ever taken this podcast to be is a conversation. It's just, I can't hear you talking back. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know that you have your opinions on Drew Brees. I know you have your opinions on Colin Kaepernick. I know you have your opinions on the original protest. All I ask is people form their opinions off of what's really out there. Don't form your opinions by your own blindness. Don't form your opinions by your own a bubble that you've put yourself in. Form your opinions by what the actual facts are. And I really wish Drew Brees had acknowledged, hey, hey okay, I get it. That's not why Colin, Colin Kaepernick's protest wasn't about, wasn't about, you know, the flag at all. It wasn't about the military. It had nothing to do with that. Like, I, I missed the ball on that, and I'm sorry. I really wish he had said that because it, he, I, I don't know that he went out of his way, but he it, it appears he, he didn't even really acknowledge his original remarks and what the problem was with them other than, well, I, I, I missed the mark. Well, yeah, you missed the mark, but do you, do you know why you missed the mark? Do you know why Malcolm Jenkins was so upset? And damn it, man, it's really weird that it's Malcolm Jenkins because Malcolm Jenkins and Colin Kaepernick have never been on the same page. And, and I have this issue because so many people, Aaron Rodgers was one of them. You know, Aaron Rodgers posted a video, or I'm sorry, he posted a photo of when the Packers were linked arms and they, you know, they they surrounded the flag. And that was their their version of a protest because they didn't have the balls to take a knee. And if you didn't take a knee during the protest, or if you didn't take a knee uh, during the national anthem as your protest, I need you to step out of the way. Because the venom, and I know, I, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, what Aaron Rodgers' caption was correct. People criticized people who were locking arms because it went from, well, you can't take a knee during the national anthem. It's disrespectful. You got to stand up. Okay. All right. Well, what about the guys who were raising a fist? Oh, you can't raise a fist during the national anthem. It's disrespectful. You've, you, you've got to put your hand down. Oh, okay. What about the guys who locked arms? Oh, it's disrespectful to lock arms during the national anthem. Just stand there and put your hand over your heart. I've told this story before, and I'll tell it again. I have, before I moved to the East Coast, uh, I, I lived on the East Coast from 2010 like, to 2016-ish, 15-ish. And I didn't know putting your hand over your heart during the National Anthem was a thing. I, I, I really didn't. Everybody on the East Coast does it. I feel like people didn't do it here in California. I just thought... You took your hat off. I, I, the way I always did it is I, I never wore hats. I stood there with my, normally just with my head down. Whether I was at a game or whatever the case may be, that's the way I always did it. I never knew putting your hand over your heart was a thing. And suddenly, if you didn't put your hand over your heart during the national anthem four years ago, you were the most disrespectful human being that ever lived. But everybody wants to include themselves as if they were part of the protest. Like, like Aaron Rodgers, bro. Like I love you, man, but you weren't a part of the protest, bro. 
fall back a little bit. Malcolm Jenkins was barely a part of the protest, and there were a lot of people that Malcolm Jenkins, who used to raise his fist in the air, stopped raising his fist in the air when the NFL threw $90 million at him. And I don't mean it him personally. I mean at that Players Coalition. $90 million that I don't think has ever actually been accounted for. Nobody knows if that $90 million was ever put into the Players Coalition. There are a lot of people, you know, this is, I don't know, within the movement, who aren't really feeling Malcolm Jenkins. But he seems to be the voice. He seems to be the voice that NFL media and sports media in general seem to turn to for issues like this. And, you know, Howard Bryant, man, if you never, if, if I mean, Howard Bryant is as good as it comes uh, when it is talking about race uh, in the world of sports, when, it, when it's talk, talking about social issues in the world of sports. And he's got some receipts. You know, he's got some receipts from the Players Coalition, and he wrote in his book, and he's shared it on Twitter. Uh, you know, there's, there's a tweet that was sent uh, from the, the, the people who were originally putting together the Players Coalition, meaning the, the original group of NFL players, uh, one of them being, you know, Colin Kaepernick, that original group uh, that he said, hey, if we got, you know, it's, it's a lengthy text. I'm just, I'm just paraphrase the bottom part. Hey, if we, uh, if they gave us, you know, if, if we, we were able to start this players coalition and we're able to, uh, you know, speak on these issues and, 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 and they're going to fund us with, you know, I think it was $90 million or something like that. Would that be enough for you to stop protesting? And you read like, oh, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to buy you off. I see. Now I'm not as venomous towards Malcolm Jenkins because Malcolm Jenkins, I believe, does a lot, uh, and he goes. He just he he goes through different channels. Uh, I know he he believes in protest. I know he believes in the movement. I know he believes in the things that are going on or uh, around the country right now. And I also know uh, that he goes the diplomatic route. I mean, he's been in Sacramento. He's been working on uh, you know prison reform here in this in this you know very city that many of us call home. Certainly in the state of California, he's done that. He's gone. You know, he's gone, he's gone the Malcolm X route and he's gone the Dr. King route. And maybe that's a difficult, you know, maybe that's a difficult line to walk because, and that's, you know, it, there's always been this weird division in activism. It even happens now with like Sean King and DeRay. You know, those are two prominent activists right now and they hate each other. Sean King, I think is full of crap, but that's, that's neither here nor there. It, it's, it's a thing. It was the same thing with Dr. King. It was the same thing with Malcolm X. It was different philosophies and different approaches. We create division within the same movement. That's exactly what happened with Colin Kaepernick. There was division within the exact same movement. Everybody wanted the same goal, but there was division in it. And so Drew Brees has apologized. You know, he just, I mean, he absolutely got shredded. And I will be interested to see what the response to this apology is. Um... He posted a picture, you know, he posted a picture of like, it's, it's the, it's the black fist and, and, and the white fist almost in like, it's, it, it looks like cover art for a Sylvester Stallone movie back in the eighties. Like, I, I don't know what it is. It was like, if you were to, if you were to screenshot Apollo Creed in Rocky Balboa, like that would be the, the, the picture that Drew Brees used when he posted that apology on Twitter. Or excuse me, when he posted it uh, originally on Instagram, of course it's been it's been picked up everywhere. <sighs> I I don't like I don't like 
comments like the way the way my comments were perceived. I just don't like that, man, because it feels like a non-apology. But I, I have I, I like Drew Brees, man, and I want to believe I really do want to believe that Drew Brees is. I mean, he's got some other issues that that many of us are aware about uh, or aware of as it pertains to his, his beliefs and. And he's really against gay marriage. Like, I, I don't love that stuff about him. I love him as a football player, I, but I hate this. And I'm going to be honest, man. The longer I, I talk about it, I don't like this apology either because it doesn't feel sincere. He, he really missed the boat. Like, he really, really missed it here. He needed to bring up his original remarks and why he dropped the ball on him. And he didn't. And that sucks. And in a, in a true sign, in a true sign of the apocalypse, Russell Wilson talked about race yesterday. That is not something that happens regularly. Russell Wilson is he is a football guy. He he ends every interview, and you you see it all the time. And he's done this since his he's done this since his rookie year. He ends every single interview. Go Hawks. And he, he, he loves talking football. He loves talking his kids. You know, he's, but he is a football-oriented guy, and he is as positive of a human being as exists on this planet. And his video conference yesterday with the reporters, it took on an, an entirely different, it took on an entire, entirely different tone, took on an entirely different context. And if really, if you were to ask me what story I was more surprised by, Drew Brees' remarks or Russell Wilson addressing race issues, it would have been Russell Wilson addressing race issues. That would have, that if I were to rank surprises that happened yesterday, that would have been at number one. Because it's just something you don't see very often. And Russell Wilson said, you know, football doesn't matter right now. None of that matters. Uh, life and what the black community is going through right now. That's what matters. Here's a quote from Russell Wilson in that video conference yesterday. When you think about the idea of black lives matter, and they do matter, uh, the reality is that me as a black person, people are getting murdered on the street. People are getting shot down in the understanding that it's uh, not like for every, that it's not like that for every other race. It's like that in particular for the black community. Think about my stepson. I think about my daughter. Uh, I think about our new baby boy on the way, and it's staggering to watch these things happen right in front of our faces, so I have a heavy heart right now. Being black is a real thing in America. It's a real thing in the sense of the history and the pain, even my own family personally. And he even said, uh, racism is real. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. This is a dude who grew up in, you know, Richmond, Virginia. This is a dude who's who's actually, you know, talked about in the past, like his, his father, you know, would talk to him like, hey, you're different, man. It's, you know, similar to the conversation we had with Ken yesterday. I know many of you, uh, you know, if you're a subscriber on the Patreon account, patreon.com slash Damien Barling, and you heard the complete interview, the, you know, near 60-minute interview. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to call it an interview, sorry. The near 60-minute conversation I had with Ken Rudolph yesterday uh, over there on Be Conscious, then you heard us talk about a situation that he dealt with, uh, with his son in a Los Angeles park. And it, it, it broke my heart. It broke my heart, not just for Ken. It, it didn't just break my heart because it was a, a regular occurrence. It broke my heart because I know a son. 
And I know how, and we, you know, if you're familiar with Ken and I, and I think most of you are, I think most of you are familiar with what we used to do on the lowdown and all of that stuff. You know, Ken is very aggressive and we even joked about it. We always joke about his aggressiveness because we can look at it now because I don't have to deal with it every day anymore. But when he said I would just come in and I would get mad, he would, he would get very angry with me for reasons that I usually wouldn't know until much later. But he's, he's, he's aggressive and he has very strong opinions, which is things that you would want from your radio show host or your television show host. You would want really strong opinions. And Ken had them. But that wasn't the part of the story that got me. It was the part with his son. And I know Malcolm. And I know how you just can't like you. If you have a vision of Ken and how aggressive he is and, you know, how, you know, you know, he, he can say some outlandish things. And, you know, Ken is a really charming guy but he is he is aggressive and he has a strong personality dude malcolm his son is not he he's he's not a nine-year-old ken i mean this kid is so well behaved not that ken's not but i mean he is he is yes sir no sir he is thank you he is your welcome he is just the most well-behaved well-mannered sweetest young man i've ever met and when ken uttered that line daddy daddy let's go we're gonna get arrested oh Bro, it just, it it kicked me in the gut. Absolutely. And then hauled back and kicked me in the balls right after that. Like, it, it just cut me. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, something's hitting differently this time. And I don't know why. This, this protest, these protests across the country, and I don't know if it's, you know, Aubrey in Atlanta, and then, you know, uh, Breonna Taylor in, in, in uh, Louisiana, and then, you know, uh, uh, George Floyd in Minnesota. I don't know if it, because it was one after the other after the other, and it was just like right there in our face. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's COVID-19 and people still working from home and everybody's lives being upended. I don't know what it is, but this particular moment in our history is hitting differently I don't recall like I don't recall statements like this from Russell Wilson you know during Ferguson which is the last you know there have been countless examples obviously people in Sacramento remember Stephon Clark I don't remember that resonating the same way that resonated absolutely, particularly, I mean, everybody here, if you're in Sacramento, you recall uh, how that played out. But the last time I remember it like hitting nationwide was Ferguson and the murder of Michael Brown. And Michael Brown came after Eric Gardner. And, and like, it was kind of the same thing where it was like one after another, after another to where we hit a breaking point. You know, there was a breaking point with this, but I don't ever recall I don't ever recall like white people talking about being allies. I don't ever recall, you know, white people. Yeah, I, I, I don't recall Blackout Tuesdays. And I, I just, there's something about this is different. And to hear Russell Wilson talking about race yesterday, it just, it, 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 it absolutely blew my mind because he's stepping out of his comfort zone. And Russell Wilson's one of those guys who's, you know, there, I, I recall several years ago, as I think Marshawn Lynch was departing the team, or it might have been Russell, it might have been uh, Marshawn Lynch's last year 
with the team. There was a lot of talk about division within that locker room, and there was you know a, a sentiment that well, Russell Wilson isn't really black. There is no such thing as isn't really black. If people choose to not acknowledge that Russell Wilson isn't black because his hair is different, uh, because he doesn't speak about race issues, that's 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 more your issue than it really is who Russell Wilson is. I don't think people really acknowledge that Patrick Mahomes is a black quarterback. You know, there's, there's, and that's one of the things, and this is, this is very real, both in the black community and I think overall perception. Colorism is a real thing. And I think we've talked about colorism before. There's Patrick Mahomes, you know, who's, who's light skin has, you know, he's, 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 he's got a different set of hair. You know, there's Russell Wilson, who's, he's, he's a little bit darker, but he's got, you know, he's got like these long curly locks. And then there's Lamar Jenkins. There are different levels of blackness. And I think, this is just my opinion, I think media likes to take advantage of that. If there is someone that they really like, how many times have you heard Lamar Jackson's race pointed out? Whether it be by, you know, whether whether it be from an article that you're reading or whether it be from, you know, idiotic remarks like, well, his purple jersey and his dark skin, it just blends in with the football and he can run the best play action fakes. Like you, we heard it. Like there were guys who were suspended or at least removed from their job for a week. I think it was in San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken, because of their remarks about Lamar Jackson's skin color. How many times have you heard people talk about Russell Wilson being black? Better yet, how many times have you heard people talk about Patrick Mahomes being black? There's a there's a reason for that. They fall on the lighter spectrum. I don't hear Lamar Jackson running around talking about uh, you know black this black that. I don't see Lamar Jackson you know putting his fist in the air. He's not you know he's not walking around repping the hip hop culture like Allen Iverson was. But his race is constantly pointed out. Meanwhile, you can look around and you could probably make a fair argument that there was a point you know maybe towards the end of last season that. Four out of the five top quarterbacks in the NFL were black. Maybe five out of the five top NFL quarterbacks were black. Lamar, of course, being the MVP winner. Patrick Mahomes. Russell Wilson, always on that list. I, you know, he's he's a he, he's a he's a polarizing figure, both you know on the field and off the field. But yeah, man, I I don't know how you deny how good Dak Prescott was last year. Deshaun Watson is in the conversation. I mean, if we go back and we just focus on the end of last year, if you told me, hey, man, Ryan Tannehill deserves to be in the top five quarterbacks, I'd listen. And I'm not saying there is a definitive list of top five quarterbacks at the end of last year and they're all black. I'm saying you can make an argument that all of them were black, but you only heard about the race of Lamar Jackson. Um, that, that deviated from my point a little bit about people it feeling like people are reacting to this differently. And I, w- I, I don't know why that was. I'm happy that it's happening. And I hope people are making, here, here's, here's the, you know, the other interesting, there's other things we got to move on to. I, I want to touch on Major League Baseball before the day's over and them continuing to fall on their face. And I want to talk about the NBA because that announcement of their return, you know, depending on what time you're listening to it, it either has already been announced or it's within, you know, moments of being announced or hours of being announced. I think that conference call, if you're listening in California is 930 our time. 
the people who are making like a genuine effort to want to change and to, like, I want to listen and I'm going to reach out to you and I'm going to ask you what you, what can I do to be an ally? Those are people who genuinely, gen, generally aren't the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you could, if you're white and you can, I'm, I, I'm an ally or I'm white and I understand the black community or I'm white and I recognize black lives matter or, you know, I'm, I'm more progressive in my thinking or anything like that. Like that's all fine and good, but the chances of you being a part of what the actual issue is, it's, it's a, it's small to none. You know, the issue lies within a far different group. And I don't know that any comment from Russell Wilson, I don't know that any comment from Drew Brees or Malcolm Jenkins or any other person on the planet is going to get through to those people. So like, I, I, I love the shift that we have appeared to see you know, over the course of the last few weeks. I, I hope it's meaningful. I hope it matters. I hope it you know, digs deep like further into the roots of what the issues are in this country right now. And my God, man, there's a lot of them. Let's go to Major League Baseball because it's always fun to make fun of them because they just, to quote, take a line from the old Eddie Murphy, uh, Eddie Murphy Martin Lawrence movie, uh, can't get right, boss. They just can't get right, boss. Major League Baseball has rejected the player's offer for a 114-game regular season with no additional salary cuts and told the union it did not plan to make a counterproposal. Good. So if you're a baseball fan, you're getting closer and closer to just kissing this season goodbye. Uh, players made their proposal Sunday. Um, the baseball owners had originally proposed an 82-game regular season. Uh, Major League Baseball, they countered that with 114. Now, money is involved, obviously, when you talk about the number of games and we're talking about prorated dollar figures here. That's the reason that the Major League Baseball, because the baseball players, they're, they've already given up uh, a certain percentage of their deal. Like it was a, it was an agreement signed back on March 26. Players accepted prorated salaries uh, in exchange for $170 million in advances and a guarantee that if the season was scrapped, each player would get uh 2020 service time uh, matching what the player occurred in 2019. That matters for arbitration. It matters for free agency, the years of service, all of that stuff. It's, it's really important. That's a little bit more, you know, Inside baseball, that's a little bit more behind the scenes stuff and doesn't matter as much to, you know, fans. Doesn't matter uh, as much to us who, who watch or cover the sport. Um, but it was important that that deal was signed on March 26th. Now, you know, the, the players, uh, the, or excuse me, the, the owners, the Major League Baseball, the league, they want to make sure, well, wait a minute. That was just kind of a good faith. And good. That was just like, hey, you know, let's just get this done. And this is a good thumbs up. I remember praising this deal. I was like, man, what a great proactive move by Major League Baseball. Because we don't know what the next few months look like. And I've always thought every season is going to be scrapped. I thought Major League Baseball wasn't going to play a single game. And now it appears maybe that sentiment was accurate. I didn't think the NBA was going to come back. I really thought if we had anything sports related, I, didn't, I don't think we're going to see college football. I didn't think we'd see any of that. I thought if we would see anything, it would be the NFL. And the reason I thought we might see the NFL is because they would just be hellbent on... We're not going to lose money. There is no freaking chance we're going to lose any of our television deal. And I know this sounds weird right now because you may have forgotten. There still is a global pandemic going on. It's not gone. Just because athletes making the news or, or protests around the country, just because that's leading whatever you choose to get your news from, doesn't mean there's a global pandemic that's not going on. I don't even remember the last time we heard from Dr. Fauci. 
When was the last time we've got numbers on these states that have reopened? I would like to know how California is doing. I would like to know what the tests look like in California. I would like to know what the positive tests look like in California. I saw what they look like in Florida and Georgia. I saw that they're trying to disguise COVID-19 deaths as ammonia deaths. Saw that. But I'm curious, like, are, we, are, like, are we safe? Do we just go out about business now? You see people protesting. A lot of them got masks on. It's like, this is just... I guess it's I, I guess it's over. It's like once you take it out of the news, if we don't put it in front of you, I guess it's over. I guess that's how we're supposed to look at this. And I guess that leads me into end of story with baseball. They they just can't get out of their own freaking way. They've got to get this. They there has to be a sense of urgency. And for the major league baseball owners to say we're not going to make a counter proposal, essentially saying take our offer of eighty two games and a greater pay cut than we originally agreed to, or piss off. Because it sure sounds like a negotiation tactic for Major League Baseball. The, 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 the players, shoot, they should just piss off and go, go about their business. The problem with that is, and I say that, I say that, you know, defiantly. But the problem with that is, and I'm, I'm still so amazed by this stat, that 65% of Major League Baseball players make less than a million dollars. If you make less than a million dollars per year, I don't think you could just afford to crap away an entire year of paychecks. A million dollars is good money, but I also think a million dollars per year, you know, once you factor in, you know, taxes across different states and you factor in, you know, probably agent fees, union fees, all of those different things. Essentially, baseball becomes, hey, man, I'm a professional athlete to, hey, man, I got like a really good high paying job. I think those are two very different things. We look at good high paying jobs, six figure salaries. We all want those. Those those, Those are fantastic. But then you got being a professional athlete, and people associate being a professional athlete with millions and millions and millions of dollars. And to know that 65% of baseball players don't have millions and millions of dollars, this is a concern. And the people at the top need to think about the people at the bottom. And I think that's what they were trying to do with the, hey, dude, we're not cutting guys' salary down to $200,000. Like, these guys, you know, aren't accountants. Like, we're Major League Baseball players who earn a whole lot of money for you. And the reason you want us to go back to work so bad is so we can keep earning money for you. You want to get that money from that television deal. You want to get that money from the merchandise. You want people to go back to, you know, OaklandAs.com or MLBShop.com and get all their jerseys and get all their hat and get on their paraphernalia. If they don't figure this out, man, they're gonna, we're talking 1994 strike season in trouble. They had an opportunity. What, gosh, guys, it had to be a month and a half ago. They had an opportunity to set the standard and be, yo, we here. We are the first professional team. We are the first professional league that is back up and running. Now they about to get lapped by the NBA. The Board of Governors is going to approve Adam Silver's proposal for the 22-team format that restarts the season in Orlando, Florida today. Adam Silver and the league's uh, finance committee, they've they've shared the, the broad details of the plan with uh, a number of different insiders. They've shared them with the uh, the board of governors. I believe a lot of general managers are aware. Most teams are aware of them. And, you know, the plan includes the 13 Western Conference teams that we talked about yesterday, uh, nine Eastern Conference teams. It's the, it's the 16 seeds. It's the 16 playoff teams, uh, plus uh, the Washington Wizards in the Eastern Conference, and then your Sacramento Kings, uh, along with the New Orleans Pelicans, the Portland Trailblazers, San Antonio Spurs, uh, in for 
I guess just to be fair, the Phoenix Suns are here too. So there's a, we've got a, a lot more detail since we mentioned this uh, yesterday, and I'm anxious to see how much, like how much structure there is to this plan. Like, what do we really find out today? Because we obviously have the broad details. There's a play-in tournament that will include the number eight and the number nine teams. Uh, if the ninth seed finishes the regular season within four games of the eighth. Um, in that case, the number eight seed enters a double elimination tournament and the number nine seed enters a single elimination tournament. It feels kind of convoluted, but I do like the idea. You know, I, 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 I really, for me, there were only two. I felt like there were only two options, 16 seeds or all 30. This seems to be a fine compromise in that I thought it was silly that a team like Golden State was going to have to show up. I thought it was silly that a team like Cleveland would have to show up. And you were able to, you know, there are eight teams that have, you know, I guess that, that are eliminated from the bubble. But there is another concern here that it, I, I actually didn't think about this. There are a number of, of people within those eight teams that are concerned about the fact that because they don't have to go to Orlando, that's a nine-month window in which their team isn't going to be playing basketball. That's a nine-month window in which the coaches and, 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 the, and the players aren't going to be together. That Man, that is, that is, that's, a, that's a pretty lengthy time. So they're trying to figure out, okay, what, what can we, like, how can we fix that? Like, how can we make sure we get away for the Cavs to have, like, some sort of summer league? Maybe they run a summer league with the eight teams uh, that, didn't, that didn't play. You know, maybe the, 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 there, were, there were rumors of multiple bubbles. You could probably still do summer league in Las Vegas. It won't look like the summer league we're accustomed to in Las Vegas, but you could probably still do it. You could operate within the bubble instead of having, uh, you know, eight teams. That's about the number. I mean, they're there. I mean, the the whole league goes to summer league now at this point. You could have the eight teams go to go to Las Vegas and have like a a mini summer league. Again, it won't be covered the same way. You won't have the media there, but at least these guys could get these workouts in. They can get the training. The problem is, is now you have to regulate it the same way that you're regulating the bubble in terms of safety protocols. Players and coaches, they're you know they're going to be allowed. To, they're going to be able to go golf. They're going to be able to go eat at restaurants and do all of that stuff. They need to maintain their social distancing. And the NBA is planning to have a uniform daily testing for the coronavirus within that Disney campus. Another thing I'm anxious about is to find out how this is like covered. Meaning, is there like a media hotel, like a media person, like is Woj there? Uh, Ramona Shelburne had a, you know, had a lot of great stuff on this report. Is she there? Are individual beat reporters there? And where does the video feed come from? Do we have camera people? Are we operating off of some type of automatic camera? And who's calling the games? Now, obviously, who's calling the games for, say, the Sacramento Kings regular season games or, you know, you know, like, quote, regular season games, you know, that that's a question within it of itself. But if you look around the league, like you, you can't send you know, a TV crew and a radio crew to the game. So do you have, like, is everybody calling the game remotely? Like is, is let's say the G-Man for, let's say G-Man and Doug, or maybe J. Ross and Doug for, for television. Are they calling the game here from Sacramento and they just got a video feed of what's going on in Orlando? Or are there, again, to use the Summer League example, are there just multiple crews from NBA TV, 
uh, TNT, ESPN that do, you know, they do, you know, multiple games uh, a day or they, they basically just work every day, you know, game to game to game to game. And obviously no one is focused on an individual team or an individual, individual series. And maybe those streams, if you will, are picked up by like our NBC Sportsnet affiliate here in, in, in Sacramento or in Northern California. And then every other, you know, local television affiliate, because there's, there is a quote regular season. And then where the play in tournament falls in and all of this, I'm not sure. It's just all, you know, these you know, networks have been without content for months. And now all of a sudden, okay, now you've got a whole bunch of content. Are we putting it all on there? Are we putting it all on ESPN and TNT? And how do local television games play a factor into this? Or excuse me, how do local television networks uh, play a factor into this? So those are the questions that uh, we're going to need the answers to, or like I, I assume we're going to get the answers to uh, as we move along. A couple of quick follow-ups here. Again, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Appreciate you being a part of the show. Appreciate uh, all of the new ears that are trained here. Again, hope you dig what you listen to. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, I dropped a new wrestling podcast. If you're a wrestling fan, past or present, it's completely different than this podcast. Take a listen to it. Shoot me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Relive with Damien Barling. It is available on this very same podcast platform that you're listening to this one on. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Damien Barling. Lots of great benefits over there. Lots of exclusive podcasts available uh, to our Patreon users, including Be Conscious and a weekly wrestling pod that's going to post uh, later on today. You can also get episodes of Relive before uh, they post to the main feed. So check that out. As I mentioned, uh, I'm going to play for you Colin Kaepernick's remarks coming up here in just a few minutes. Colin Kaepernick's remarks from his original statement following uh, the first time he sat down during the national anthem. So I got that coming up in just a couple of minutes if you're interested in sticking around for that. A couple of follow-ups to two stories yesterday. Uh, Vic Fangio, uh, we told you, Vic Fangio said, I don't believe that there's racism and, and, and discrimination in the NFL and we brought you that story and told you, I, b I believe we also, it, for those of you who are unaware, this is our clown music. I always thought the What's Happening theme sounded like uh, some like something you'd hear at the circus. So anytime someone uh, produces clown-like behavior, we go ahead and hit the What's Happening theme. So we had to hit the What's Happening theme for Fick Fangio yesterday. And, you know, God bless him. He's the oldest coach in the NFL, and he knew... It was, I told you, he's going to put out a statement, and he definitely did. After reflecting on my comments yesterday and listening to the players this morning, I realized what I said regarding racism and discrimination in the NFL was wrong. While I have never personally experienced these terrible things firsthand during my 33 years in the NFL, I understand many players, coaches, and staff have different perspectives. I should have been more clear, and I'm sorry. I'm going to end uh, me, you know, uh, I'm going to end uh, the statement there. Um, and he wrote a lot more, and I, just, I, I knew he missed the mark. Uh, I don't believe he was trying to be, and this is, you know, this is where you take people's words and you try to figure out their intent. That's been a, a, a common thing, particularly here in Sacramento over the last few weeks. What was the intent of these remarks? I don't think Vic Vangio meant harm by this. I do believe what Vic Vangio, I, 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 he's never experienced it, and it's hard for people to talk about something that they don't experience or that they haven't experienced. So I'm forgiving of Vic Fangio. I'm not as forgiving of this. I, you know, I was floored to see an article in the New York Post yesterday with several quotes, like a, 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 a pretty good amount of quotes. Like it was obviously a lengthy conversation 
uh, with Grant Napier, and it had the same exact tone as the Marcos Brenton article did for the Sacramento Bee. It was very uh, pro-Grant. I think he's calling on his allies to defend him, and he's called on a lot more allies that haven't defended him. Um, but here's, here's, a, here's a couple of things I want to point out. Grant Napier told the New York Post, it makes me feel sick to my stomach because it is absolutely the opposite of who I am. I'm 60 years old. I will let the track record of my life and what I've done for my community and what I've done, people who know me, of all races, I'll let them tell the story. Okay. I want to hit one more line before I tell the story. Here's another quote from Grant Napier. I have not once in my 32 years in doing the Sacramento Kings had any individual from either the radio station or the Kings mention anything in any way, shape, or form about me and my relations with minorities, with any other group of people. That is uh, um, an absolute disgrace uh, that would ever be said. That is an absolute disgrace. So this was uh, in regards to, obviously, the statement that well, Grant Napier is a racist, and he's saying no one has ever uh, accused me of this before. I'm shocked. No one at the radio station and within the Sacramento Kings. Can't speak for the Kings. People have hinted to me. No, no one has said this definitively. So I did the rumor and innuendo if you will, to steal a line from my favorite Bruce Pritchard podcast, is that the Kings have said something to him. Again, that's a rumor. Not fact. Not reporting. Just a rumor. He says that no one at the radio station has ever said anything. And I believe what he is saying there is his boss, and he's had, I think he's only had two bosses his entire time there, and I know both of them because I worked for both of them. Doug Harville, who left the uh, who left uh, CBS a long, a long, a long, long time ago, you know, um, quite quite a while ago, and Steve Cottingham, who currently currently oversees the Bonneville cluster of radio stations, which is what used to be CBS Radio. I can tell you, I've told my bosses, which were his bosses, that Grant's behavior is terribly unprofessional. He is incredibly rude and inappropriate to our audience. And I can tell you, because he's saying, I'll let them tell the story. I'll let the people who know me tell the story. Hey, I'm not buddies with Grant Napier. We don't go drink beers together. We don't go golf together. We don't, you know, post pictures of us smoking cigars together on, on, on social media. But I've been around him on a daily basis. I've heard him on and off the air on a daily basis. And I have told the people I work for there are too many racial undertones to the things that he says on his radio show, and he needs it needs to be brought to his attention. And I swear to each and every single one of you, the line that I was given in response to that is the exact same line when I went to my same boss and said, his behavior towards DeMarcus Cousins, now that DeMarcus Cousins is gone, is inappropriate. His constant attacking of him for hours upon hours. And hey, again, you can hate DeMarcus Cousins if you want to, but Grant is a NBA figure. He is a national figure. The, N, the, you know, the NBA airs all over the place. League Pass is available all over the world. And he represents our team. His behavior on social media is gross. And his treatment of DeMarcus Cousins is disgusting. The line I was fed to both of those concerns. Ah, that's Grant being Grant. That's Grant being Grant, D'Lo. Like, that's your response, huh? I just told you that I have a coworker that I believe has an issue 
with race, and you're telling me that that's Grant being Grant. Okay. Grant goes on to say that Chris Webber and DeMarcus Cousins are, quote, two of the most sensitive athletes he's ever been around. So let's deflect and let's put the attention on DeMarcus Cousins. Because it appears, you know, over these 24 hours that Grant Napier has really learned a lot, and he's just doubling down. He's backed into a corner now, and I guess he's just swinging a baseball bat trying to hit uh, anybody who will move. Uh, I said something like, as it pertains to Donald Sterling, I said something like, I don't know if Donald Sterling is a racist. I don't know. But what I do know, it, it is uh, very interesting that the owner of the basketball team, he has a black general manager and a black head coach. That was the context of the conversation. I'm, I'm going to end the quote right there because he goes on. I never have ever defended Donald Sterling in the charges. Not one time. Good phrasing there from Grant because he's right. He never defended Donald Sterling in the charges. He didn't. But his framing of, I don't know if Donald Trump is racist. I don't know. But what I do know, it's very interesting that you know, what he said was, I don't know that Donald Sterling could be racist because he employs black people. And there is audio of this. Much like the Colin Kaepernick audio, it's easily accessible. Let's point out two more quick things before we wrap this up. On the NFL protest, which was a, a, a subject that him and I just were just on complete opposite ends of the spectrum with. He was adamantly against NFL protest. He's adamantly against athlete protest. Okay? Grant Napier said, when I go to a play on Broadway, I want to see a performance. I don't want to see any political statements being made or any social issues because that's not why I'm going. I have no problem with people protesting. Okay? So what he's saying is, I don't want to go to an athletic event and see people protesting. Got it. Except... His BFF had one of the most famous protests in, in NBA recent years. When Vladi Divac was a player, he wore an armband. Now, you can determine what kind of practice, you can determine what type of protest that is. But how can you differentiate uh, an armband, which is a political statement? He wore it. He was clear as to why he wrote it. He was appearing on news shows. Vladi Divac, I'm speaking of, was appearing on news shows explaining why he was wearing that band on his arm. It was a political statement by Vladi Divac during his time as a player for the Sacramento Kings. Grant seemed to have no trouble with it then. Grant played, praised it and spoke about what a hero Vladi was for his country. Why is it different? What's the difference? You just said you don't want to see political statements at sports games. That's not why you're there. But you had no problem because it was Vlade? Why? Grant goes on to talk about all of the black players who have called him. He continues to use black people as props in his life. He wants you to know that black people are calling him. He won't say who, which is okay. He's saying black people have called him to tell him like, hey, man, you've got my support. And he also wants you to know that Chris Mad Dog Russo, who he loves to point out it is, is his BFF. He says, Chris Mad Dog Russo said on his show, to say that Grant Napier is racist is absurd. In my life, knowledge of him, Grant Napier, trust me when I say this, this is me, is anything but a racist. And Grant gets all emotional because apparently Grant's dad was like some civil rights leader now all of a sudden. Ne I've never heard this story before. I never knew this. But apparently Grant's dad was some sort of like civil rights leader now in New York. And I, I find this amusing that, that it's Chris Russo who says Grant Napier is not a racist. Because it was Chris Russo 
who Grant Napier said the night before when he realized the bus was sitting right on top of his chest that he decided to point out on Twitter that Chris Russo used to use the N-word in his house until his dad straightened him out, meaning Grant Napier's civil rights leader dad straightened him out. And I'm not going to talk about, I, 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 and I don't mean this in any way as a shot at Grant Napier's dad. I don't know anything about Grant Napier's dad. What I'm saying is I have never heard such a story that Grant Napier's dad fought for civil rights in New York. That is a story I would have been incredibly interested. And the other thing that I just can't get over in all of this is Grant talks about how all he know he's just he's so close with all of these black people. He is a friend of the Negro community. Like, hey, fam, are you telling me in the last four years? Hey, we can even go further. We can go back to Trayvon Martin. Go back the last six years. All of your black friends that you surround yourself with, that you claim to surround yourself with. You have never once had a conversation about Black Lives Matter. Never. Like, you, all of your black friends, in all of the times that you have brought up on social media about All Lives Matter and about protests and uh, about fighting for the, all of those things, none of them have ever come to you and said, hey, fam, you know what this is about? Hey, man, your employer has formed a relationship with Black Lives Matter. They formed a relationship with a group exclusively to Sacramento called Bill Black. Do you know what that's about? Because you never once discussed it on your radio show. You did nothing, but you, you never even commented on social media. You would retweet something that Sacramento Kings put out. Maybe you would retweet something that Doug Christie put out. You realize that Doug Christie, your partner that you have spent more time in your life with over the last couple of years, he is the reason that that partnership exists. You never asked them, like, hey, fam, what is this about? Never? Because you, you, you're a friend. You're a friend of black people. You, you never asked? I hope I don't have to talk about that, dude. And, and I was really, I was very content with where I left yesterday's show. I was very content with my opinion and my approach to Grant Napier. But this, this, this spin move by, the, the, by his, you know, his friends in the New York Post, this is trash. Don't let him spin the narrative. I'll repeat what I said yesterday as agitated as I am right now. Grant Napier is not an evil person. I don't think he's a good person, but I don't think he's evil. But he is racist. And spinning his narrative through all of these, let's, let me point out one more thing to you, and then we're done, I promise. We talk about, this is the, this is the problem with unchecked behavior. When you don't check him for his behavior, Grant Napier has treated people like Jason Jones like crap for years. Jason Jones is a phenomenal journalist for The Athletic. He busted his ass for the Sacramento Bee. He covered the Sacramento Kings. He has the same sources that Grant Napier does. He has players texting him. Grant Napier treated him with absolutely zero respect. Did he treat him with zero respect because he was black? I don't think so, because Aaron Bruski isn't black. Aaron Bruski is a damn good journalist who used to work for NBC and started his own network, hoopball.com, hoop-ball.com. You got to put the dash in there when you go to the website address. If you're a gambler or you're into daily fantasy, that's where you need to get your information from. Aaron Bruski is so influential in his, you know, his lines and his spread and his uh, assessment of players. He can shift lines in Las Vegas. He is absolutely to be respected. And he was treated like crap by Grant Napier regularly and trashed on his radio show. 
Grant Napier took every opportunity to trash you know, entities like uh, what is the former Sacktown royalty and now the current King's Herald. Oh, because those guys are just fans. They don't deserve to have an opinion. Hey, screw you, man. Like, we're all fans. There is a pattern of disrespectful behavior from Grant Napier that for so long by the people at KHDK went unchecked. I can't speak for the Sacramento Kings. I have no idea if they ever checked his behavior. It certainly doesn't sound like it. But his behavior on the air and through his social media platforms at KHDK went unchecked. It was embarrassing when he would attempt to call out national radio personalities and national television personalities. It was embarrassing for this city. It was embarrassing for that team. And it was embarrassing for the radio station. Grant Napier has been an embarrassment to this market for a long time. A very, very long time. And I'm done with that, and I'm done with him. I appreciate each and every single one of you uh, for tuning in today. Again, if you're new to the show, I really hope you dig what you're listening to, man. I hope you'll stick around. You know, we, we're, we're finding content to talk about. We've been doing this show all through the pandemic, uh, but we're on the verge of the NBA returning. And, man, we get to talk about the Sacramento Kings because the Sacramento Kings are going to play basketball. And I don't subscribe to the theory that because the Sacramento Kings are in the bubble that they've made the playoffs. But they have an opportunity to make the playoffs. They've got a real opportunity to make the playoffs. And we're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that in the upcoming days. So I hope you'll join us. I hope you subscribe. I hope you rate. I hope you review. I hope you go to patreon.com slash Damien Barling. I hope you check out some of my other podcasts like Relive with Damien Barling. I'm really proud of that one. It's a documentary style podcast that focuses on a great match in professional wrestling history, a great moment in professional wrestling history. The first episode uh, centers on Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. So, at WrestleMania 17. So the show is done, but as I promised, the original statement from Colin Kaepernick following the first time he sat on the bench way back on August 29th of 2016. What are you trying to accomplish? What would you like this to be the end game for you? That's basically. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's to bring awareness and make people... You know, realize what's really going on in this country. There are a lot of things that are going on that are unjust. People aren't being held accountable for. And that's something that needs to change. That's something that, you know, this country stands for freedom, liberty, justice for all. And it's not happening for all right now. Is this something that's evolved as a philosophy in your mind? And how has this kind of progressed that you make a stand like this? It's something that I've seen, I've felt... Um, wasn't quite sure how to deal with uh, originally and it is something that's evolved. It's something as I've gained more knowledge about you know, what's going on in this country in the past, what's going on currently. Uh, these aren't new situations. This isn't new ground. It's things that have gone on in this country for years and years and have never been addressed and they need to be. Will you continue, will you continue Colin, to sit? Will you continue to sit? Yes, I'll continue to sit. I'm going to continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed. Uh, to me, this is something that has to change. And when there's significant change, and I feel like that flag represents what it's supposed to represent, and this country is representing people the way that it's supposed to, I'll stand. Specifically, what would you like to see change in order for you to stand? There's a lot of things that need to change. Uh, one, one specifically is police brutality. There's people being murdered unjustly and not being held accountable. Cops are getting paid leave 
for killing people. That's not right. That's not right by anyone's standards. Colin, so many people see the flag as kind of a symbol of military. How do you view it, and, and what do you say to those people? Uh, you know, I have great respect for men and women that have fought for this country. I have family. I have friends that have gone and fought for this country. And they fight for freedom. They fight for the people. They fight for liberty and justice for everyone. And that's not happening. I mean, people are dying in vain because this country isn't holding their end of the bargain up as far as, you know, giving freedom and justice and liberty to everybody. It's something that's not happening. And I've seen videos, I've seen cir circumstances where men and women that have been in the military have come back and been treated unjustly by the country they fought for and have been murdered by the country they fought for on our land. That's not right. Colin, do you personally feel oppressed? Personally? There have been situations where I feel like I've been ill-treated, yes, but this stand wasn't for me. This stand wasn't because I feel like I'm being put down uh, in any kind of way. This is because I'm seeing things happen to people that don't have a voice, people that don't have a platform to talk and have their voices heard and affect change. So I'm in a position where I can do that, and I'm going to do that for people that can't. Is this the first year that you haven't stood up? Did you, did you do it other years, or is this the first time? Uh, this year's the first year that I've done this. And you did all, all the preseason games so far? Yes. This is the first time it was noticed? Yes. And how did your, how did your teammates respond when you explained yourself today, and, and what was the support like for you? The, resport, uh, the support I've got from my teammates has been great. You know, I think a lot of my teammates come from areas where this might be a situation. Their families might be put in this situation. Uh, it's something that I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, I really respect you for what you're doing and what you're standing for. So to me, that's something that I know what I'm doing what's right, and I know other people see what I'm doing is right. It's something that we have to come together, we have to unite, we have to unify and make a change. What do you say to the people that say, hey, you're doing the right thing, but you're going about it the wrong way? I don't understand how it's the wrong way. Uh, to me, this is a freedom that we're allowed in this country. And going back to the military thing, it's a freedom that men and women that have fought for this country have given me this opportunity by the contrib contributions they have made. So. I don't, I don't see it as going about it the wrong way. This is something that has to be said. It has to be brought to the forefront of everyone's attention. And when that's done, I think people can realize what the situation is and then really affect change. You've done it every preseason game. Uh, are you almost relieved that, that, that it took this game and the questioning that, that followed to let your voice be heard? It wasn't something that I really planned as far as it blowing up. It was something that I personally decided I just can't stand for what this represents right now. It's not right. And the fact that it has blown up like this, I think is a good thing. You know, it brings awareness. Everybody knows what's going on, uh, and this sheds more light on it. Now I think people are really talking about it, having conversations about how to make change, what's really going on in this country, 
and we can move forward. Are you that concerned said, this is seen as like a blanket indictment of law enforcement in general? What was that? you concerned that it's, can it can be seen as a blanket indictment against law enforcement in general? Uh, as far as what? I don't really understand well, what you're trying to get at. You get murdered by police. I mean, do you think that it seems as sort of an indictment against police? Uh, there is police brutality. Yeah. Uh, people of color have been targeted by police. Mm -hmm. So that's a large part of it. And they're government officials. They're put in place by the government. So, you know, that's something that this country has to change. Mm -hmm. There's things we can do to, you know, hold them more accountable, make those standards higher. You have people that practice law and are lawyers and go to school for eight years, but you can become a cop in six months and don't have to have the same amount of training as a cosmetologist. That's, that's insane. I mean, someone that's holding a curling iron has more education and more training than people that have a gun and are going out on the street to protect us. What was that? Do you, do you plan on doing uh, stuff beyond you know, sitting during the national anthem as far as activists kind of you know, rolling your sleeves up and, and, and getting out in the community? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, there are things I have in the works right now that I'm working on to, you know, put together in the future and come have come to fruition soon. Uh, those are things that I'll talk about as we get closer to those days. Colin, you say that this is a, it's a good thing that this is blowing up now because it's getting some attention. Any concern about the timing of it, a critical part of training camp, and, and the possibility of it being a distraction? No, I don't see it as a distraction. I think it's something that can unify this team is something that can unify this country. You know, if we have these real conversations that are uncomfortable for a lot of people, if we have these conversations, there's a better understanding where both sides are coming from. And if we reach common ground and can understand what everybody's going through, we can really affect change and make sure that everybody's treat, treated equally and has the same freedom. Captain, is anybody from the league or the team or anybody said, Tone it down here because clearly you're speaking your mind right now. It doesn't seem that anyone's trying to, from the, the organization, whatever, is trying to quiet you. No, no one's tried to quiet me. And, you know, to be honest, it's not something I'm going to be quiet about. I'm going to speak the truth when I'm asked about it. It's not, this isn't for a look, this isn't for publicity or anything like that. This is for people that don't have the voice. And this is for people that are being oppressed and need to have equal opportunities. You know, to be successful, to provide for their families, and not live in poor circumstances. Have you been pulled over unjustly? That, uh, in court, you know, in your mind, have you been pulled over unjustly or had a bad experience um, in that regard? Yes, multiple times. Um, I mean, I've had times where one of my roommates was moving out of a house in college, and because we were the only black people in that neighborhood, the cops got called, and all of us had guns drawn on us. Uh, I mean, came in the house without knocking, guns drawn on one of my teammates and roommates. So I have experienced this. People close to me have experienced this. This isn't something that's a one-off case here, a one-off case there. This has become habitual. It's become a habit. So it's something that needs to be addressed. You're a lone voice here as far as taking this stand. Why, why do you think you're the only one doing this? I think there's a lot of consequences that come along with this. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't want to have this conversation. 
that you know they're scared they might lose their job or they might not get the endorsements they not might not be treated the same way and those are things I'm prepared to handle and those are things that you know other people might not be ready for uh, it's just a matter of where you're at in your life where, where your mind's at and at this point I've been blessed to be able to get this far and you know have the privilege of being in the NFL and you know making the kind of money I make and enjoy luxuries like that but I can't look in the mirror and see other people dying on the street that should have the same opportunities that I've had and say you know what I can live with myself because I can't if I just watch. Do you think you might get cut over this? I don't know but if I do I know I did what's right and I can live with that at the end of the day. Does any of this reflect your, your relationship with the 49ers or with the NFL? Is this any part of that? No, this is about the way people have been treated by this country. When you, when you addressed the team today, Colin, how long did you talk? And, and what was kind of the tone of it? It, it, it seemed like you were able to uh, convert one person into your line of thinking that was uh, more skeptical. Uh, no, it was a conversation. They asked me to talk and just explain why I did what I did and why I felt the way I felt. And that's something I had an open conversation with them. I told them why I felt that way and why I looked at things the way I do. And a lot of it has to do with the history of the country and where we're currently at. And, you know, I opened it up to all my teammates. Come talk to me if you have any questions. If you want to understand what I'm thinking further, come talk to me. Uh, this isn't something that should be hidden and shouldn't be talked about. These conversations need to happen, and I think it's something that can bring everybody closer. Were, were there a couple guys that voiced uh, their, uh, how they felt against what you're doing to you? There were, you know, I've had people say, no, I want to understand further. Let's talk. So I've had those conversations, and we'll, we'll continue to have them with my teammates. But it's something that the knowledge of what's happened in this country and is currently happening is something that I think everybody needs to know. And when you have the knowledge of those things, then you can make an educated decision on, you know, what you really feel and what you want to stand for. Hey, is any of this been a distraction? In terms of politicians or, or, you know, people outside the sports world to, to tell you that they support you for this? Uh, I've had a few people reach out. Um, I mean, quite a few, actually. Uh, saying, you know, we really support you, we're proud of you for taking that stand, we respect what you're doing, uh, we know a lot's going to come with it, but we're behind you. And, you know, that means a lot. That means that I'm not the only one that feels this way, and I'm not the only one that sees things this way. Is that same thing that you run for getting to the Super Bowl this year? Is there, you know, are you guys talking more today about this, or are you talking about planning to get to the Super Bowl? No, we're focused on football while we're in meetings, while we're on the uh, field. That's what our focus is. But in our free time, we have conversations about this. And that's not something that should be, we should be ashamed about or shy away from. You know, we talk about football, we handle our business there, but there's also you know, a social responsibility that we have to be educated on these things and talk about these things. Well, did you consider like bringing, you know, forming an alliance and getting teammates to join you in this? And if not, why did you decide to go it alone? This isn't something I'm going to ask other people to, you know, put their necks out for what I'm doing. Uh, if they agree with me and feel strongly about it, then by all means, I hope they stand with me. But I'm not going to go 
and try to recruit people and make sure like, hey, come do this with me because I know the consequences that come with that and they need to make that decision for themselves. In that same vein, did you reach out to anyone before you did this to seek their counsel, say, hey, what do you think about this at all? This is a conversation I've had with a lot of people a lot of times over a long period of time. So it wasn't something that you know, I planned on having a conversation about uh, at a particular time. It just so happened it was the other night that people realized it and talked about it. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, that's all right. Um, clearly, you know, I understand why you're doing this. You want to bring a voice to other people. You want to raise consciousness about certain issues. Are you concerned? So much of the talk is the 24 hours has been about you and not necessarily the issues. Are you concerned that that, that could happen? I do think that, you know, the talk has been more about me more about I know a lot of people's initial reactions thought it was bashing the military which it wasn't that wasn't my intention at all I think now that we have those things cleared up we can get to the root of what I was saying and really address those issues since you've done this other you know of other players who feel the same way but maybe not ready to step forward publicly what was your question you know other players who were kind of a feel the same way that you do but are afraid to really step forward publicly like you have yeah I know there's other players that feel the same way I've had players reach out to me uh, you know once again it's not something I'm gonna ask them to put their necks out uh, I know the consequences that come along with my decision and if they feel strongly about it and want to stand with me then I hope they do if it's something they're not ready for you know that's what the conversations are for and they can make that decision you know when they're ready or if they're ready. Do you Dr. feel Edwards you'll be safe? Do you feel you'll be safe in some of the road cities that you go to, and will you take some precautions? I mean, that's a legitimate thought. Uh, not really too concerned about that. Um, you know, the end of the day, if something happens, that's only proving my point. Um, yeah. Yes. Dr. Edwards has some experience with public stances such as this. You were talking to him before practice. Is he someone you consulted with at, at any point on the? Right when you decided to do this? Uh, I mean, once again, it wasn't something I consulted anybody on. It was a conversation I had uh, when someone asked me about it. Uh, Dr. Edwards is a good friend. He's someone I talk to a lot and run a lot of things by and have a lot of conversations with. Uh, and we have a lot of similar views. Colin, the fact that this is an election year, does this have anything to do with the timing? Uh, I mean... Once again, it wasn't a timing thing. It wasn't something that was planned. But I think the two presidential candidates that we currently have also represent the issue that we have in this country right now. You want to expand on that? Uh, I mean, you have Hillary, who's called black teens or black kids super predators. Uh, you have Donald Trump, who's openly racist. Um, I mean, we have a presidential candidate who's deleted emails and done things illegally and is a presidential candidate. That that doesn't make sense to me. Because if that was any other person, you'd be in prison. So what is this country really standing for? Well, it is, it is a country that's elected a black man president twice, Colin. I mean, can you see people say why the outrage in a country that has elected a, a black president has done many things, sacrificed a lot of things for 
uh, it has elected a black president, but there are also things, a lot of things that haven't changed. There are a lot of issues that still haven't been addressed. And, you know, that's something over an eight-year term, there's a lot of those things that are hard to change, and there's a lot of those things that he doesn't necessarily have complete control over. If you would say, that, what would it be a success for you on this, I mean, just in the short term? <laughs> No, that's, that's a tough question because there's a lot of things that need to change, a lot of different issues that need to be addressed. Um, you know, that's something that it's really hard to lock down one specific thing that needs to change currently. Okay, last thing, Colin. My wife's a cosmetologist, and she has very extensive training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, and it's amazing to me that she has more training than officers that are supposed to be protecting people.